Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Eddie Smith, the head coach at Utah Valley University. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Eddie Smith. I want to ask first off, what kind of drew you to Utah Valley in particular? Well, this is a story that I share with recruits a lot. Um, mm-hmm. When I was first contacted about Utah Valley, I was pretty lukewarm. And, um, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about the program, the conference, the area. Um, mm-hmm. Very few people, myself included, grow up as a little kid thinking about dreaming about college baseball in Utah, right? And um, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was on the phone with the administration a couple of times, and every time I talked with them, I was just really impressed. Uh, hmm. Everybody says they want to win. Uh, everybody wants to win, but what really impressed me about Utah Valley and the administration here was they had tangible resources in place to be able to win. And they talked hmm. about their vision for the program. They talked about the investment that they wanted to make to make this program go forward. And they talked about this identity of what we're all about here. And um, Hmm. it really drew me to the place. And then I was able to do some research on my own. I recognized, hey, we have this facility here that was built for the Angels minor league team. They've since left, which means that we've been left with a full-time use of the facility right on our campus uh, that is a professional facility. Uh, wonderful, wonderful place to live. I mean, one of the safest hmm. places in the country, booming yeah. economy, restaurants, um, nature, Park City, Sundance Resort destinations mm-hmm. within, you know, 45 minute drives of our house. Uh, couldn't really imagine much more. And by the time I. There we go. We had a little hiccup. We're good. Okay. <laughs> by the time. Um, yes. By the time. Yeah. Yeah, so I, by the time I came back here, um, back home from the interview from visiting Utah Valley, I was sitting mm-hmm. there, rather than being lukewarm like I was a couple of weeks earlier when I initially had contact with the school, I was sending an email in the middle of the night to the athletic director saying, hey, we got to get started. We've got this recruit in the portal right now. We have this high school kid who's looking for a home. Let's go. What are we waiting for? And uh, kind of pounding their door down and, you know, couple hours a couple days later whatever it was uh, the ink was dried it was official but it's been an amazing place I'm sure you have experienced this too where maybe an administration is a little bit more hands-off but it sounds like they had a very um, collaborative sort of uh, dynamic with the baseball program it seems like they're pretty involved actually Uh, is that like is that you think a a benefit like is it um, is it the communication that they have with you because you said they had like um like things put in place almost it's almost like they had everything set up and they just need someone to like man the ship right and then they were just trying to find the right guy is that kind of the right read on it it's a very good read jack there's no doubt about it and um you know i think sometimes you you have to have different experiences to really recognize what a great one looks like and um Hmm. this experience here has been amazing it's an administrative that administration that's really supportive um, in providing resources and um, already having a really, really good foundation in place. In fact, the, sim, uh, the analogy I was using in the interview process was, hey, we've got a masterpiece waiting to be painted here. 
all, we got a blank canvas. All we need to do is go get a little bit of paint in the paintbrushes. And hmm. that's the fun part to me. And so, um, you know, since we've been here, it, it's just a total different time in college athletics. I mean, if you go on down the list, the transfer portal, the NIL, the mm-hmm. Alston scholarship money, um, we are at the forefront of that. I talk to Power mm-hmm. Five coaches all the time that wish their school was in the position that we are right now as far as thinking forward and being ahead of the times to try to grab all mm-hmm. these margins that are available to go win right now. And um, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. We've got people that we work with in leadership roles in this department that everybody's on the same page and we get it. Mm. Um, it is so awesome from a coach's perspective to work in an environment like that. And then when it comes time to get stuff done on the field, uh, I, I just feel like everybody is just cheerleaders that just pull for our guys and our coaches and our program all the time. So it's a great place to be. Hmm. And you mentioned that you do have a lot of previous experience though none of those experience has been at the head coach level. So what has been different uh, for you since coming in at a new position as head coach, a first-time head coach? Yeah, well, everything's different. There's no doubt, Jack. And, you know, I did mm-hmm. spend four and a half years as a head coach at a junior college. Um, okay. Still totally different. There, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, junior, um, junior college is very different, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the management of people, is mm. a total different skill than knowing the game and coaching players. Uh, mm. Working with adults, uh, interacting with adults, sharing the vision, working together on the vision with adults is a huge, huge thing. Uh, mm. I've already shared how fortunate I feel um, in, in who I get to work with every single day. But, you know, there's times that you got to be persuasive. There's times that you have to compromise. There's times that you have to recognize somebody else's point of view um, who you're working with and um, mm. concede to them that, hey, you know what? In fact, that, that is a better way to do this. Um, it's so much more than just baseball. And that's the beauty of it is it's a new challenge. Um, mm-hmm. Every single day, there's working with different people and different walks of life with different priorities. And, hey, how can we work together? Because we both have the same goals in 99% of cases. I've got no doubt about that. We both mm-hmm. want to win. How do we work together to get there? And, you know, whether that's from the compliance side to uh, the academic coordinator, uh, just fantastic people who are so good at their jobs. We got a strength coach on board this year who has just changed our program. Baseball Mm -hmm. only strength coach with us every single day, everything that we do. Uh, We've got an athletic trainer with us right now who has just been an unbelievable resource in trying to keep guys healthy Mm -hmm. And, and working with this whole big picture of people. Um, as a head coach of a Division One program, totally different than when you are a hitting coach or a recruiting coordinator, and your vision is so tunneled as it should mm-hmm. be in those roles. And yeah. uh, it's a fun, fun challenge trying to lay down that foundation, set the expectation, see the vision, and spend every day waking up trying to get there. Mm. So you you mentioned challenges, and you're talking about laying the foundation in terms of like the the holistic sort of. Um, picture let's narrow that to just the baseball side is it the same approach where you're just trying to lay the foundation obviously for you it's first year you know so you're trying to lay the foundation there for yourself but how about for the players uh, when they come in in the fall 
Oh, for sure. There's no doubt about that. You know, I think it's uh, I think it's the head coach's job to set the expectation for everybody inside the locker room and say, okay. hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish. These are the um, these are the parameters of how we're going to get here, and here's how we're going to cut you loose to go dominate your piece of the pie, so to speak. And uh, whether hmm. that's an assistant coach or a student manager or a role player or your Friday night starter, everybody's got to know what's expected out of them. And uh, hmm. year one last year was a lot of, um, I'd call it kind of stop and go, stop and go, make some progress, take two steps forward, and then all of a sudden you get stuck in traffic. Uh, there's setbacks. The hmm. expectation, hey, um, it was an adjustment new standard was totally different. Maybe the bar was raised in intensity and commitment that was mm. demanded out of the player. Uh, maybe the head coach myself wasn't explaining it well enough. Uh, all, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think one thing that I'm so excited about, we just came off of a great, great fall and uh, it, it's, it, you don't get awards for being a fall star, but uh, yep. progress made those foundations that you're talking about um, as a program and talent level and, understanding the technique, the foundation, understanding the grit, the toughness that it takes to be a championship team. We made some strides toward those things this fall. And I can't wait to continue to go forward with that. In fact, we're still going forward with it a little bit with these post-fall workouts where we're trying to get get big, throw harder, hit balls farther, that sort of thing right now, all mm-hmm. geared toward seeing the tangible results of wins come fall, uh, come springtime. So it's exciting times. Yeah. And you mentioned the, wrapping up the fall and I can't imagine being a head coach going, you know, going into uh, whenever you guys get back, maybe it's early, mid January, just like the, the thought in the head where it's like, all right, did these kids during these six, seven weeks, did they, did they grind it out? Did they do what they're supposed to do in that little break? What's that winter break? Like, how do you prepare those players for that winter break? Uh, because it's such an important time in the season for you guys. Yeah. Hey, recruiting is everything. Uh, recruiting is everything. Hmm. Getting the right people in the program is everything. And, um, you know, that's been such a focus for us since day one, 18 months of it now. Um, and when I say the right people, I say right people, not the right players, you know, um, hmm. the, the right people, the right people that are self-motivated, the right people that have dreams of, of playing professional baseball, of playing in the NCAA tournament of being a Cinderella story one day here at Utah Valley and being on TV for super regionals, Omaha, whatever it might be, um, getting those kind of people in the doors. Cause when you get those kind of people in the doors, it's still not easy, but it happens that way. And um, it, it is something we're really intentional about in recruiting. We're not just recruiting the best talent on the field all the time. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to find as many players that are really talented as we can that profile for our program. And then, try to sift through that to get the achievers, the elite makeup guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's the biggest piece that we do for that. Is there still some concern? Yeah. You know what? There's eight weeks here where we only spend five days together as a team um, mm-hmm. leading right up to our season. And uh, we set something out there in place, particularly the pitchers have to know, hey, here's where you've got to be on January 9th when we return to school. Yeah. We're throwing pens that day. We're facing hitters by the 12th in order to get from point a to point w you got to take care of b c d e etc on your own over this break and mm-hmm. uh, again um we paint the yellow brick road we really really try to set those expectations uh but ultimately it's about having the right players and mm-hmm. uh, 
I, I can tell you right now, and I couldn't do this 365 days ago, we feel really excited about the people that we have in the locker room, not mm. just as good people, but people that are dead set on accomplishing something, on people that have dreams that wake them out of bed mm. uh, in the middle of November and December to get after it. Have you noticed that in your experience too, the sort of shift towards um, like high makeup guys and how important it is when recruiting to get the guys who not only get it done in the classroom, but also you just notice that they, um, they kind of exude that confidence, that leadership sort of role. I, I just feel like I hear every coach talking about how much more important that is, uh, almost more important than the talent level. Oh, it's everything. It, it's everything in our sport. You know how um, this game is so based in failure. And so your mm -hmm. ability to keep getting yourself up when you get knocked down, to get up every single day. Hey, today's the most important day of the year. Sent that text to our players yesterday. I'll send it again to them tomorrow in the morning. Hey, today's mm -hmm. the most important day of the year. That mentality is mm. what it takes in our sport more than any other sport out there. And so I do think that makeup is just an absolute must have within a locker room. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's something where we really, really focus on it a lot. I'll, I'll never forget one of those light bulb moments for me. I was at the junior college and I was, um, in the middle of summer after our first year there, and we had such a challenging first year. Hmm. And I was listening to a podcast much like this with uh, the first coach I had ever coached with, Coach O'Connor from the University of Virginia, a huge uh, yeah. mentor for me. And I was listening to a podcast, and he talked about how, you know, within their program, they didn't take risks on players. They just got a lot of players who they had a really good idea about what that player was all about, all these things we're talking about right now, hmm. high character, valued academics. Um, yeah. It became something where their baseball experience was getting to coach them in baseball and not babysit them. And hmm. it really struck a chord with me in that moment. And, you know, since that day uh, in that program, it was a huge, huge focus of mine. Um, and I think it's something that has just continued with me. I think it's a huge, huge edge. I think it's, maybe still undervalued by the market of how important that is. And I think, you know, strategically, my feeling is, hey, you can always go find another talented player. Um, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It takes time. You got to turn over rocks. You got to make phone calls. You got to do the work. But you can always go mm -hmm. find a talented enough player for your program. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and waste my time and energy on one player um, to try to babysit that player when I can go find another player who we can sit there and work on things um, where we're guided by trying to be elite, by trying to be great, by trying to achieve something special, move mountains together. Mm -hmm. That's what we're in it for. And we yeah. try to articulate that to guys in the recruiting process. This place is not for everyone. Okay. Hmm. Um, when we are recruiting a player, I don't care if we have our biggest scholarship offer out to them or just an opportunity to come onto the team. We tell them, I am not here trying to tell you this is where you should be. This is what we're about. Mm. Right? We are about pursuing excellence every single day. We're about winning championships together. You need to have a major league dream because that will propel you to be the best player that you want to be. And if you want to win mm. championships, you need you to be the best player that you could possibly be. And that's either going to make you say, gosh, Utah Valley is a place that's a great fit for me. Or it's going to scare you and you're going to run – out of this office so fast that you don't want anything to be 
uh, a part of us. You don't want any part of us. And that's fine too. I'd much rather find that out when we're recruiting you than a month into the yeah. fall season. Yes, yes. Oh my God. You mentioned too the babysitting part. It's so much easier because you don't have to focus on it. I mean, yeah, I feel like I've, and I've seen it. I've seen it in my experience too, where the coaches just get so frustrated with players that are so high maintenance. And it's like, they, they just can't even coach at that point. It just, it completely changes the ball game, but you, you're probably right. in to just try to cut that out completely in the recruiting process. Um, once you get those guys though. Oh, no, no, go, go, go. Yeah, no, no, there's no question. That's the goal. And, and you yeah. know what? There's some amazing people doing amazing work in this world to, um, you know, to transform people's lives and help them turn the corner uh, when they might be going through some challenges or not understand what um, championship habits might be. But, you know, mm. we're here in this program for elite achievement. And we're not talking about things that 95% of people are talking about. We're wanting to talk about habits of the elite, accomplishments of the elite. And, mm. you know, at the end of the day, you mentioned it. If we're going to spend time and energy on teaching somebody the importance of having to go to class every day or the importance of being able to get warmed up on your own, we're never going to be elite in our achievement here. So it's a disservice to the group. Yeah. Uh, well, so how do you guys do that day to day in terms of the um, just like instilling? I mean, you mentioned the uh, today is the most important you know part of the day. Is that kind of the motto? Is that you guys are just uh, maintaining sort of a present uh, mindset? You guys are just trying to win the day. Is that uh, like one of the pillars that you guys are pushing? Yeah, that, that's definitely one of the pillars for sure. I, I would again mm -hmm. revert back to the recruiting piece, getting the right people here who value this. Uh, mm -hmm. I think every day is a little different as far as, hey, what, what's the message that needs to be shared on this given day to okay. serve as that reminder of, hey, why is today the most important day of the year? But uh, mm -hmm. it takes highly motivated people. We're all a product of who we surround ourselves with, okay? And so the people you surround yourselves with are contagious to you. And we want mm -hmm. to have that contagious piece to be something that lifts us up and lifts us to a place where we're scared to death to let the people down that have their locker next to us on our right or our left. So I'm going to put my work yeah. into it. And um, that's the kind of culture that we're working to create here. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think we're, we're well on our way. Now we just got to keep that up day after day after day after day through mm -hmm. good times, through bad times especially, and keep that motivation where, hey, today's the most important day of the year each mm -hmm. and every day. And understand that, hey, when things get hard in the season, we're traveling, finals are coming up, we lose a series, we go five and five over the course of two weeks. Um, mm -hmm. Hey, keep plowing forward. Just keep running. Just keep plowing forward. Dominate the day right in front of you. Mm, I was going to ask because it's a very different dynamic during the season, you know, uh, as opposed to the fall. That's when things get real. Um, what's been your experience there, you know, in terms of just kind of managing a team? Uh, week to week when you have new opponents coming in or you're going to new opponents um, is every week different and I know the answer is yes but how is every week different for you guys well yes and no I, I said uh, recruiting I've emphasized how important that is uh, number one priority in a program no doubt about it I would yeah. also say one thing I've learned is that the number two priority is scheduling uh, especially mm. with way where we are we do have to go on the road the first two weeks of the year with weather. Um, so we are going to have eight of our 
14 weekends be on the road. We want to be strategic with where we go and make sure we're playing in places where we can return to campus at a reasonable hour. And I'm saying mm. midnight instead of 3 a.m., okay? Uh, there's nothing yeah. easy about it. You've lived this yourself, as I, uh, as I know very well, that, hey, you know, midnight is a very standard return time to campus in the college baseball world. But it's a huge difference in getting your bed and being asleep by 1 or 2 in the morning compared to getting to your home at 3 or 4 a.m. And mm. so that's been a big part of it for us. And mm, fortunately, okay. we've been able to get really, um, really intentional again with our, mm-hmm. our scheduling piece so that we are uh, playing teams that allow us to get back to campus at reasonable hours, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, is every week different to a certain extent? Yes. With the way that our campus, uh, sorry, with our conference, how it works, mm-hmm. we have to win our conference. Well, in order to win our conference, we got to get to the conference tournament. So we have 30 conference games. Those are of our highest priority um yeah you know some places preseason hey game one carries a very similar weight to game 30 well for us game one through 19 this year we got 19 non-conference games before we play a conference game we're Mm -hmm. playing to win the ball game they turn the scoreboard on we're there to win no doubt about that but Mm -hmm. we also want to see some things you know there's players who those lights come on and they melt and there's also players, those lights come on, and they're a whole different animal, and they shine under the lights. Mm-hmm. And it's a cool thing about here with, um, you know, the final goal being make it to the conference tournament and win the thing. We've got 19 preseason games where we can mix and match lineups a little bit. We can see who those guys are that come out of the gates, especially in a season where, hey, we've got a lot of newcomers this year. We started fall with 27 new bodies, mm-hmm. and it's our first true recruiting class. Hey, who are these guys when the lights come on? We'll have those 19 ball games to give guys opportunities to get settled in under the lights and shine when it's hmm. showtime before we play these 30 conference games Yeah. where, hey, when all is said and done in those 30 conference games, we're going to put the lineup together that's established themselves as the best lineup uh, mm-hmm. to win the game. We've got to win those games. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – 27 new guys that jumps out to me and you and I both know that's very irregular and I'm sure you you also don't want to have to have 27 new guys coming in but it makes sense for the position you're in but how's that been so far it's been tremendous Jack and and no never again um the process for 16 months that our coaching staff undertook to get to those 27 newcomers and this being our first recruiting class um it was exhausting but incredibly fun. And, um, you know, already we're, we're feeling the rewards of that. Great people, uh, pretty good players mixed in there too, which is important. Um, you know, it was something where Utah Valley in the five years before last season had lost more games than any Division One team in the entire country. And, mm-hmm. Part of that is because we're funded so well, we're able to go play a full schedule. There's a lot of teams that are faltering that, you know, maybe they only play 45 games. Well, we've been playing a full schedule. So that's part of why we've lost 56 or lots more games of our 56 games than anybody mm-hmm. in the country in that span. But it paints yeah. a picture of the program was in a place where it needed an immediate jolt in everything, starting with talent. Okay. Yeah. And so we've tried to infuse this talent uh, into the program, into the locker room with that 27-man uh, incoming class. They've done a great job. 
They've done mm-hmm. a great job. They fit what we're about. Um, we don't have football. We don't have fraternities. We've got baseball in each other. And mm-hmm. hey, college base, college football is awesome. Fraternities, I'm sure they're great too. Um, but we have a special thing to offer somebody who wants a really baseball-centered experience. We have hmm. Power Five slash professional, literally professional facilities here at our disposal. 24-hour yeah. a day access to these facilities. Um, it's rare. A, a really cool campus. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible for somebody who wants to put their heart and soul into saying, hey, when I'm 30 years old, I don't have any regrets about what I put into my college baseball experience. That's what we are. That's what we're a place for. And we're mm. very, very outward about that in the recruiting process. We're here for guys who are serious about wanting to pursue championships, who are serious about wanting to say, hey, how far will baseball take me? Maybe mm. that's getting a chance to play in a Division One game. Maybe that's getting a chance to play a day or a week of professional baseball. Maybe it's a 20-year big league career. I don't know. But we want to make sure our players don't leave with any thirst for wanting more on the baseball development side, baseball mm. experience. And we found a lot of room of guys that are really aligned in that. And it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine what the shift just in culture probably was when that all happened. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what the fall would be like too. I would imagine it's uber competitive uh, with so many new guys and just so many different looks, new looks at new players what's what's been the kind of competitive side of the game for you guys this fall are you guys able to scrimmage uh, a lot even with maybe some some colder weather oh yeah yeah that's a big focus for us as you know uh you, you don't see anybody anything about a person in this game until you see them in a game setting and so yeah. scrimmaging was huge for us um we we had uh seven weekends full of scrimmages and so i mean every pitcher got um somewhere in the range of 20 innings and mm. um, you know most of the hitters were able to get 50 60 70 plate appearances under their belt it was really important the competition you mentioned oh it was everything i mean we tried to make the environments as competitive as possible sometimes we put mm. you know post-game meals on the line winning team gets to eat losing team you're on your own um, <laughs> you know we got bumper stickers one day for the winning team um I could go on and on about things that we did to try to create that competition. And, you know, just naturally the message is, Hey, we've got nothing owed to anybody. All right. Um, mm. we, we've got basically nine positions wide open and three weekend arms wide open and a whole bullpen full of open spots. And mm-hmm. Hey, that internal competition that that breeds is just incredible. And it's an awesome process. Uh, you know, yeah. you know again, I don't want to be in this position ever again here for sure. Okay. Um, I, 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 it's been exhausting in ways, and I think the rewards are to come. And uh, it's mm-hmm. been a fun, fun thing building it. Um, I want to ask about freshmen. How many new freshmen do you guys have uh, this fall? Right now, we have six freshmen on the team. Six freshmen. Okay. Yeah. What is uh What has it been like for them? And I also want to ask. Um, not that any of them, I would assume, are struggling, but it happens. You know, freshman comes in doesn't get acclimated uh, well enough. I was like that. I just, you know, it takes me some time to get acclimated, just like some other yeah. guys. What is that What is that like? How do you like to approach a player that's maybe not, um, you know, you could say he's struggling? Right. 
Well, I think struggle is the only thing that's guaranteed to you your freshman year of college. Okay. I mentioned yeah. your experience. I call it the freshman train bus. Hmm. This adjustment from high school baseball to division one baseball, especially now with everybody having a COVID year in college baseball right now and so mm. many players being 21, 22, 23 years old. Okay. Uh, this adjustment that these freshmen are going through, it's greater than the adjustment from college baseball to professional baseball. I mean, the mm. jump in environmental factors, living on your own for the first time, figuring out where to get your food and how to get there, new college classes, a new level of baseball where, hey, everybody was the best player on their high school team when you're yeah. talking about Division One baseball, okay? Mm -hmm. um, that jump is different than the jump from college baseball to professional baseball. And so you look at it that way, that freshman train touches everybody. For some people, it just kind of blows them right off the tracks, okay? Um, how, do mm -hmm. you, how do you work with that? Um, as a coach, I, I really do think it's about creating expectations, uh, saying, hey, here are the standards here. And these standards aren't just something we come up with on a whim. Mm. Uh, these are things that are built to help you navigate the challenges, the pitfalls of college life, particularly for freshmen. They really apply to everybody, but particularly freshmen. Yeah. Um, you know, if freshmen struggling, um, to try to get to the root of it. What's causing the struggle? Are they not talented enough in the classroom? Are they not talented enough on the field? Is there something going on at home? Uh, what, what are the environmental factors impacting that, that struggle? You know, can mm -hmm. we control them better? Is it roommates? Is it housing? Um, you know, can we control them better? Oftentimes controlling them, meaning giving them mental skills to dominate the obstacle, not trying to remove the obstacle as you understand. And everybody out there understands is listening. Obstacles are just going to be a part of life. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's just the message. Hey, these challenges you're facing right now, they aren't going anywhere. How are you going to get around them? How are you going to plow through them, jump over, go underneath, whatever it might be? Um, trying mm -hmm. to equip the freshmen with mental skills or an understanding of what these problems might become before they ever arise are probably mm -hmm. the biggest strategies we try to, you know, impact our freshmen with while they're here. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think that's important for freshmen in particular to understand that there is a new standard once you get to a new level. Like that's just how it is. I've found it often in my experience to kind of lean on older players or at least try to take a look and see what they're doing, see what's different about these older players. Um, have you like asked your older players maybe to, to help along with that and sort of the leadership sort of roles? Cause obviously you guys are coaches and you guys are leaders by nature, but players also have to be leaders for a team to be successful too. Well, my goal is for our team come, you know, mid-April uh, and beyond for there to be very, very little coach involvement. Um, I want the mm. team running the ship. And we talk about that a lot. Uh, mm. Naturally, older players are probably going to take on a little bit more of that than a younger player because of their experience, because of human nature. But mm -hmm. we also talk to the team about, hey, we're never going to name captains here, okay? Uh, we want this to be a team full of 40 captains by the end of the season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is a way of life. And that comes to how you carry yourself. That comes to you being able to have the courage to communicate to the person that you're working with on a given day when, Hey, they aren't treating it like it's the most important day of the year. All right. We got to have that coming from player to player. 
And it's something that we stress mm. a lot of, hey, this is your team. These are your responsibilities to hold each other to every single day. And mm. um, all of us have days where, for whatever reason, you know, I, I mean, it could be just didn't eat right the night before, uh, didn't get enough sleep, body sure. woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Our performance level mm -hmm. maybe isn't what it should be. Again, you're going to be a product of who you're surrounded by. You're going to need people to lift you up and call you out on a given day. And you've got to be able to too much to a class system of seniors, juniors, um, anything like that. We try to have that be a universal concept in the in the locker room of, hey, do your job at all times, regardless mm -hmm. of the conditions. But part of your job, uh, no matter who you are, is holding the people next to you accountable. Mm. I like that. I, I think I think it's funny that you said you want to almost not have to coach at all, not at all, but as little as possible come like April. I think that's actually where I think a lot of teams are most successful is where the players kind of like, just like keep it going, you know, like it's a player led program almost like, and it's, it's hard to do, but it can be done. You know, it's, it's definitely a difficult thing to do in college. So with, with, you know, just all the distractions of it. Um, I do want to ask about recruiting again, you've mentioned recruiting. I want to ask your opinion on how recruiting has changed though, over time. And, you, because you've been in uh, the recruiter position um, for a while now, like you have all these years of experience. I want to understand, you know, from your eyes, just the shift um, in how you've recruited players over time, or how you think recruiting just overall has has changed. Yeah. Oh, it, it's changed so dramatically overall. Uh, the transfer portal, uh, it's it's transformed recruiting for sure. And, yeah. Uh, the fact that you're seeing players go from one Omaha team or a team that's you know the reigning national champion to another team uh, it's baffling to me in some ways but it also is just a sign of what reality is right now and um, mm. it, it's something where you have to accept reality for what reality is not what you want it to be and uh, it's something where for us we are a very good transfer destination. Um, hmm. We have the ability to get uh, a really good scholarship in the hands of a lot of players. We have the ability to get a lot of transfers into school. Um, hmm. and, and that's huge. Um, having coached at a lot of different schools, everywhere is different. Every institution is different in, in how things are handled. And we have a very, very wide net, um, so to speak, when it comes to who we can get into school and how we can make school affordable for families. And uh, that's mm. a big, big piece for us here at Utah Valley. Um, I think one of the biggest things in recruiting that has changed with the transfer portal is you've always had to go figure out, hey, what is our niche and how do we dominate recruiting our niche, all right? Mm. Back when I was recruiting you at Tulane University, mm -hmm. we were recruiting players with different visions than at Utah Valley University. Um, sure. Yeah. Equally as beautiful, you know, everybody's different. There's everybody has different gifts. Everybody has different backgrounds. Everybody's looking for different things. I think the key to being 
good in recruiting is identifying what your institution's niche is to mm. find the best players you possibly can that fit your program. If you don't do that, you're just going to be spinning your wheels, okay? Yeah. And I think that niche has probably changed for so many schools where if you haven't recruited transfers before, you better open your mind to it because you're going to have mm. a really hard time keeping up with it. I was watching college football on Saturday, and they were talking about a school that was having a really hard time getting transfers in and how that was mm. hurting them. Uh, if you have, if you can't get a transfer in right now, man, it's going to be a really tough thing for your institution to stay relevant in Division One baseball. There's, there's no doubt about that. Mm. You better have a degree that is so valued, um, and be able to find players and families that value that degree so much, mm-hmm. because otherwise, the transfer piece that used to be like this, you know, red stain on your program if you had players transferring. Right mm-hmm. now, it's just the mark of college baseball. I mean, I think the average yeah. school had over 10 transfers last year in the portal. Um, really? Oh, my gosh. It's the nature of it right now. So, That's uh, a lot. <laughs> your school within this environment, I think, is the biggest thing that changes uh, in this transfer portal world we're in. Yeah. Do you think it, it'll get regulated at some point i feel like it it should right it sounds like it should 10 transfers is a lot i i I don't know i i have a hard time um thinking that we can go back in time i think pandora's Mm. box has been open so much i don't understand all the legalities of it but i know that there's a lot of uh you know liability for lawsuits that drives with this and Mm. we are where we are um I have a hard time thinking that it's going to be significantly regulated here as we go forward. Mm. And you've mentioned earlier the NIL too. How's that piece played, you know, apart for you guys in particular, let alone other schools uh, with the transfer portal kind of going together? Oh, it's been an edge for us. There's no question that uh, when it comes to retaining our players, it's an edge that we have. You know, there's Mm. nothing stopping our players from transferring. Uh, so what we need to do first and foremost is provide a great culture, a great experience development that they believe in this place to be the place for them to reach where they want to go in this game and Mm -hmm. have the experience that they want to have. But, um, money talks, all right. We're all human. We're all driven to some extent with the, uh, you know, the need to provide and, um, it's something where there are schools out there that are able to entice transfers uh, with money. Well, how do Mm -hmm. we stop a player who's an all-conference player uh, for us from going to a school that is able to maybe provide that player and their family um, an offer in NIL that is twice as much as the scholarship value here at Utah Valley? Well, fortunately, we have a collective. uh, You know, that collective has been very supportive of our program, and they're able to retain help retain our players um because of this nil route and uh, Hmm. it's an amazing thing to be able to put more money into the pockets of our players who you know uh, can stay at utah valley yeah want to be a part of our program here and the finances become something that they're really excited about and you know it has it's changed the whole landscape of everything there's rumors yeah. swirling of how it's influenced college football and 
you know, millions and millions of dollars being involved. Um, it has its thumb in college baseball for sure. Some places more than others. I'm really thankful for what we have here from that side of it because it's certainly mm. been an edge for us so far. Yeah. Um, I want to go for uh, high school players too, because certainly those two things play a part, but I, I kind of want to ask about evaluating players in particular, maybe um, with the consideration of technology being such a big thing these days. Um, how often do you and your recruiting coordinator lean on the technology side when you're evaluating your players to recruit? So the technology is uh, valuable for sure. I think that when we're recruiting, especially a high school player, we're still recruiting on the basis of projection so much. And so yes. much of projecting yes. a 16-year-old kid and how he's going to be when he's 20 and 21 years old, uh, it's environmental factors. How is this person going to be when he is in our program? Does he fit our program? Could come from a great family, hmm. but maybe that just isn't the right fit. Maybe he just doesn't love baseball quite as much. Maybe he really wants to be involved in the robotics club and the drama club and some other clubs. And there's some programs that are great fits for a guy who wants to be involved in all those things and baseball. Hmm. Uh, you know, we, we need a guy who's baseball focused, baseball centered, has dreams of playing professional baseball, wants to win championships along the way. And mm -hmm. so that's where for us recruiting that 16 year old kid uh, is so, so, so makeup based and okay. Okay. makeup and alignment based on what we offer as a program here, baseball wise. Uh, hey, will we sit there and say, hey, this guy's got a lot of vertical break on his fastball. No wonder he's getting so many swings and misses when he's only throwing the ball 86 miles an hour as a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. Hey, and, and he's projectable. I can see 91 coming out of there and he gets to 91 and he still has this 20 inches of vertical break. Look out, you know, for sure. No yeah. doubt about it. Um, I, I think that it's something that we use a lot internally to almost, it's a temperature gauge, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Just had a daughter a couple of days ago. and That's right, when, yep. Congratulations, yeah, when, by the we're way. We're putting her to sleep. Um, you know, we take her temperature. Well, if her temperature is off from what the standard is, we want to know why. Much like a, a pitcher should use that technology for those same reasons, in my mm. opinion, and be able to improve that temperature if it's not optimal, right? So True. that's the way we use technology. Um, to say it's not used in recruiting, that wouldn't be accurate, but recruiting is such a big picture type thing for us. Mm. Okay. That's interesting because I've definitely heard coaches almost strictly utilize the technology side. But when you think about it in reality, it's like his, you know, his metrics or whatever it is, his launch angles. And it's like, that can change. Like those things can change, you know, in a couple of years. And if, if anything, they should be changing for the better once they get to your program. You said you implemented a little bit more though, internally, um, oh, like once sure. the players get there, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, just the implementation of it. Absolutely. Um, I'd say first and foremost, we've got a strength coach with our program that I mentioned earlier, who's mm -hmm. just been incredible. Uh, every single day, our players weigh themselves, but it's not just the scale that you or I might have in our, uh, you know, in our bedroom. It's a scale that takes all of this uh, information from the body, from body fat to, uh, I mean, it classifies some things that I don't even understand, but it, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, then our players also do some other testing every single day when they walk into the ballpark. It takes them like 
I don't know, 90 seconds, right? Where um, hmm. they're testing themselves on vertical jump and some force plate type stuff where it really gives a good indicator of where that player is. Again, taking their temperature essentially, but it's a more in-depth temperature. Hey, what's your temperature as an athlete? What does this look like in the big picture? Not just today hmm. versus yesterday, but averages over the course of two months, over two years, how are you developing? So yeah. that's a big piece of it. Um, I know you're probably talking a little bit more on the baseball specific piece, but I'm a big believer that, hey, 90% of our players, what separates our player in our locker room compared to a first rounder? Speed and strength, man. All right. What separates a high school player who's in his junior year from a high school player in his junior year who's committed to the Division One school? Speed and strength. So we are putting a huge investment in that area of our players' development, first mm. of all. Okay. Uh, we have Rapsodo. Our pitchers throw every bullpen with Rapsodo. Um, obviously, the velocity is part of that, but you know the vertical break, spin rates, etc. We chart that. We have all of that on Google documents. That, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly, I leave that up. I, I call them. Uh, I, I call our younger coaches the millennials. Okay, uh, <laughs> um, they're really, really good at some of this stuff. And uh, mm. I, I, I sometimes ask for the end result. I want to see the baby. They, they take it through labor, man. And uh, they, they do an awesome stuff understanding that, but also simplifying it because we don't want our players sitting there trying to become lab rats. We don't want them to be a science experiment or trying to be calculus students on the field. Okay. We yeah. want them to be warriors and ball players and act like apex predators, man. You got to act like a great white shark going to eat a seal off the coast of California when you're mm. out there at the ballpark. Okay. And uh, if you're sitting there trying to calculate something in your head while you're on the mound or in the batter's box game over, you're going to yeah. get beat. So that work. it's that balance. It's that balance. And our, our coaches do a really good job. Uh, not myself, because I'm not as good with all the stuff as they are, uh, of, of breaking that down to hmm. a two plus two level and removing it from an algebra or calculus equation. You gotcha. know, on the offensive side, the last piece is uh, yeah. uh, we, we, we really value exit velocity. I mean, we have almost all of our swings during practice uh, measured by with their exit velocity and it goes right up there on a, a board where it's almost mm. like you're at the county fair and you're throwing the thing and trying to win a stuffed animal but instead you're hitting the ball and up pops your number because if you hit a 96 uh, i can guarantee you in my round i'm trying to hit a 97 i love that form of competition and mm. again it's just another way of taking a player's temperature yeah and if you mentioned the whole like you don't want scientists on the mound you don't want guys thinking about their metrics and stuff but I like the idea of kind of combining the two and saying like, okay, those are yours. At least on the offensive side, you can do this. You can say like, all right, you know, you did this. I'm trying to top you. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be better than you. I think it's important to implement competition kind of like in everything that you do, which it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of. Um, and I, I like the sound of, of that. It's interesting though, right? Like the shift toward technology-based coaching so you said you don't dip your toes in that water too much but you have your other coaches who do do you um tend to let them kind of gauge like all right these are these are where the players fall based on that and then you come in with the other side of it saying like okay maybe i'm not so tech based but you know we can we can kind of talk about both sides of the ball um and that's in terms of like all right, who's going to be the starting nine? You know, who who's Friday, Saturday, Sunday guy? How does that work uh, for you guys from like your coaches and then yourself? 
Yeah, and I may have understated that a little bit, Jack. Um, I, I don't want to sound like a dinosaur here because I have made it a very, very big point of understanding usable concepts in okay. the technology that has come over the game of baseball, okay? Uh, I certainly understand vertical and horizontal break and spin rate. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I probably value velocity more every single day than I ever did before from pitchers. I mean, if you mm -hmm. can't look up and see how much the game has changed in the last 10 years, you probably aren't in the game anymore because uh, 88 is now what 82 was 10 years ago in the college game. And yeah. if you're only throwing 88 miles an hour, uh, you're just going to have a really hard time getting outs unless you do something else that's spectacular and an mm. outlier. And, and, uh, and so yeah. um, I, I, I may have overstated that a little bit. Um, I, I think that I, I definitely try to keep a pulse on that. I also will say uh, it, it's very collaborative with our coaches in, in who's playing. I mean, we sit here, yeah. we have, we meet, I mean, I just tried to take a lot away from football. I think they're light years ahead of baseball when it comes to running a program. And hmm. we meet every day at 11 o'clock and we go over the day's plan. Sometimes that's a five minute meeting. Um, it can definitely morph into hour and half meetings at times where we sit there and we duke it out on these sorts of conversations of, hey, this guy hmm. does this, this and this so well. Oh, but this guy's overtaking him for, you know, talking about who stands where on, um, you know, uh, on our depth chart or our batting lineup, whatever it might be. And, you know, it's something we try to be really transparent with. Um, in the locker room, we have it posted all the time. Hey, here's where you stand. We rank all of our hitters, uh, 1 through 20 right now, on our Interesting. locker room bulletin board. Here's where you stand. Here's our infielders, 1 through 8. Um, guy most most likely to field 1,000 on 10 ground balls hit to him at shortstop or second base. Here's where you are. Here's where mm -hmm. you are as a catcher, pitcher. Um and, and we try to keep that transparency with the players. I think it breeds competition. I also think that, you know, as players, you always wonder where you stand. Um, yeah. We tell them, hey, we're, we're going to tell you where you stand. You might not like the news, but at least you'll know the news. And just because you're ranked a spot or two ahead of somebody else doesn't necessarily mean on that given day or that given moment, you're going to have the opportunity ahead of that person. There's a lot of factors that play into that. Um, totally. And, and so – um, you know, just sharing that perspective with the players, I think has provided some value of, and, and Hey, the last thing I'll add on that is it's always written in pencil. Okay. Um, mm. kind of symbolically of, Hey, it's written in pencil and not a Sharpie for a reason. Okay. It's all rents due daily. Okay. And, yeah. um, you know, you're always being evaluated and who's playing, um, and, and whose spot is whose that nobody gets to go out there and build a statue on a spot uh, at shortstop or on the mound as a Friday starter um, that's earned. So. Yeah. Have you found um, with that, with the, the listing of the rankings uh, for players that uh, some of the players who aren't where they want to be, will come in and talk to you guys. Is that something that, uh, that comes out of that? For sure. And, and part of that's by design. I mean, we have no agenda on that uh listing of rankings other than to sort out that communication on the front end instead of having a frustrated locker room on the back end and mm. i think what i found is is so important as a head coach is that you have reasons and justification for that um the player doesn't necessarily even have to agree with those in fact we try to teach the player you know to have this undying confidence in themselves you know and now we're knocking down a little bit that's hard because we're almost speaking mm -hmm. out of both sides of our mouths how can you have undying confidence in yourself and coach just ranked you as the 18th 
hitter out of 20. Um, mm-hmm. I get that. But, you know, I think there's a give to get this balance and all that. It does spark some conversation at times. Uh, but by design, of, hey, this is where you stand. Sometimes it's self-explanatory. Sometimes people want more of an explanation. And, and hey, that's what we're here for as coaches. We're running an organization of human beings. It's not just a bunch of uh, data points out there. And so we got to mm-hmm. have that. We got to have that trust among each other. We don't have yeah. to have full harmony, kumbaya agreement. We have to have trust, though, that you understand you are where you are because of this. And we're going with it. You got opportunities coming to you, probably change it during those opportunities that come. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about my experience uh, with the word communication. Um, I've definitely been in the place where it feels like you can't talk to anybody or uh, if you question anything, you know, then it's like a personal attack on a coach. But I feel like it's shifting, you know, in terms of the uh, the importance of communication. Uh, it sounds like you guys are, are prioritizing communication a lot, too. Is that safe to say? Definitely a priority. Definitely something that we always are trying to improve upon. Uh, mm. I, I, I think there's a balance to it, right? There's time and place. The middle of the sixth inning with the bases loaded and one out is not the time to come and talk about, <laughs> hey, why am I uh, why am I ranked fifth and not third on the depth chart of hitters, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's something we talk about too. Hey, have some pulse, have some feel. We always say, hey, you can't go to Walmart and buy your feel across the street here, okay? You got to have That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but in the right setting, yeah, I, I, I think that communication is important. Um, there's also times that we have to have conversations with players of, hey, you're in a developmental phase right now. I can't have conversations with you once a week about where you stand and why you stand there because mm. this is why you stand there. And until this dramatically changes, you're not going to make huge jumps. Um, and sometimes we're proactive with it. Hey, this is more of an in-season thing, but if somebody's been our shortstop for 15 straight games and just not getting it done or somebody's just overtaking them, I got to have a conversation with the guy that we're moving to a new position or to the bench from shortstop mm. before we write that lineup out and post it on the wall because uh, he deserves that and he needs to have that understanding of the why. Most cases, players are going to understand those conversations. The yeah. human connection is so critical on, on all of that because we've got to trust each other. I got to be able to count on you to know what you're going to be able to provide on a given day, mm. effort committed toward execution day in, day out. And you've got to be able to count on me to be the same guy every single day as your coach. Yeah. What if a guy has pushback, though, where he kind of doesn't understand that, like, his current position can't just change in a matter of, you know, a week or two? Like, uh-huh. do you just let them know that uh, just straight up, just saying, like, hey, look, this process is much longer than you think. And typically it's with freshmen where they come in, they're the guy. And then, you know, obviously they're not and they have a lot of improvement um, ahead of them. You know, do you just tell them that straight up? Try to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's probably on the border uh, at, at times in our communication of, 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 I guess, tough love would be the best word for it. Of mm. We are telling you the truth. I always go back to this Joe Madden quote, and I think there's so much to it. I personally don't want anything sugarcoated, and we don't sugarcoat. Hopefully players say we don't sugarcoat anything in our program. You know, yeah. and, it, and it's not trying to be malicious. It's hopefully always done out of a position of respect. But mm-hmm. Joe Madden has this great quote out there of, hey, if I lie to you and tell you what you want to hear, you might like me for a day or two. And if I tell you the truth, 
you might be mad at me for a day or two. But if I lie to you and you find out that I'm sugarcoating it or lying to you, eventually you're going to hate me and you're never going to trust me forever. Yeah. Whereas if I tell you the truth, at least you're going to have this respect for me down the line. And I think, you know, there's a quote that's said a little bit more eloquently than that, but it's a way of life Understood um, that, that I want our sure. players to have in this locker room. Um, and it's a, it's a web. It's not a two-way street between me and them. It's every one of our 46 bodies on our staff and players, including our student managers of trust. And mm. I mean, I'm not talking about a trust that you, you hopefully have innately with average acquaintance. I'm talking about an instinctual trust that you know, an animal might have with another animal of like, hey, I know I can trust this person. Your dog knows that they can count on you. Mm. Your dog doesn't get scared of you when you come home because they trust you. They, they can count on you. And that's the yeah. kind of special trust we're trying to create inside uh, with this team. Yeah, I think tough love can definitely build trust more than people realize. And you said it. I mean, trust is it's one of those pillars of of just building a strong, cohesive program. Um, I want to go to the personal side. So I want to I want to ask you about how you got started in coaching. Um, what if it was a, a person that drew you toward it? Or you just knew, you know, since the day you started playing, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in baseball for my whole life. Well, my dad was a high school basketball coach in Washington for 45 years. And so as a kid, um, the, the stories go that when I was an infant toddler right around there, that it just became easier for me to go to practice with my dad than put up with the fit that I would throw at home and the temper tantrum I'd have if I didn't go to practice, I didn't get to go. So. I grew up on a gym, um, you know, he was also an athletic director. So um, Friday nights at our house were high school football games. In the spring, it was baseball games and track meets. And I mean, there weren't a whole lot of sports that we, we didn't uh, surround ourselves with, but hmm. um, really think saw the game through the eyes of a coach at an early age and all this stuff that we're talking about of interpersonal connections and that dynamic that's within a locker room probably mm -hmm. earlier on than most. And that was something that I look back on a lot. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. it was instead of bedtime stories. We talked about who the Rams were going to play the next day. That was our high school's name, you know, mm -hmm. I'm talking about four or five, six years old and who was going to be the starting lineup and why uh, very, very formative time. Um, mm -hmm. I got the chance to coach for the first time. I was 20 years old, immediately following my sophomore year of college at the junior college level. I coached mm. a team of 16 to 18 year olds from my high school. And some of them were freshmen when I was a senior. I had <laughs> no idea what I was doing, but it was a blast. Uh, I was hooked. And yeah, a cool experience was, um, you know, two days after we got eliminated from the regional tournament, my senior year of college, my coach, Coach Maneri, we were having our kind of senior exit meeting and um, it just so happened there was a coaching position on the staff at Notre Dame and talked to me about it a little bit and shoot by the next afternoon I was hired uh, <laughs> learned really quick about the dynamics of college athletics three weeks later he got hired at LSU um, you know within those dynamics there wasn't a position open at LSU to go with him on his staff so mm. I was sitting there thinking I wanted to be in college coaching. I got a chance to be in college coaching. Well, gosh, coach, um, coach Maneri got on the phone and 
Coach Brian O'Connor at Virginia had a director of operations position come open at the University of Virginia, created, in fact. Uh, they never had it in the program. Hmm. And uh, long story short, that's where I got my start in coaching. Ended up spending five years there, um, mm-hmm. three as an assistant coach. Um, it, it's been just an unbelievable honor and pleasure to be at the college level. Um, mm. At times, everything's changed. Everything has changed. 17 years now at the college level as a coach. And uh, the, the world is nothing like it was in the fall of 2006 when I started. But uh, it's yeah. been awesome. Have you, uh, have you ever thought about what you'd be doing if, uh, if coaching wasn't the, uh, the occupation? <laughs> oh, uh, Toby Keith should have been a cowboy. Every time I hear it, I think I'd probably be out somewhere on a ranch uh, chasing horses around. Uh, oh, yeah? Oh, but wow. uh, that, that might be one thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I really never envisioned a plan B. For me, it was always going to be a teacher and then coaching at my high school. I mean, I, in my mm. mind, and even in conversation with my high school coach, who was kind of inching toward retirement in what would have been my mid-20s or so, it was mm. like, one of these kind of perfect successions that I think we all kind of had in mind until the college opportunities came up. I mean, I just haven't really thought of anything other than teaching and coaching in my life. Coaching is its own form of teaching for sure. And yeah, uh, that, that that's probably about all I could ever think of doing. Well, it's a good thing. You don't have to think about a plan B. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, plan A is obviously the goal, you know, so yeah, yeah sticking with plan A and, you know, until you get a new plan A, I, that's what I always say. It's like, there really is no plan B and we're just sticking with plan A until we make a new plan A, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about your most memorable recruiting visit. And again, if you have multiple, I want to hear them all. Like, give, okay. give me, give me whatever you got. Okay. Well, I'm going to protect you and not bring up your recruiting visit. No, I'm just kidding. That was a great <laughs> one. <laughs> was I was like, one. wait, what did I do? Barbecue across the street there in Tulane. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yes, That's Moses, so good. Yes. Process. But, um, yeah. you know, um, one that really stands out in recent times was mm-hmm. last fall was our last, our, our first time really getting our feet on the ground and recruiting okay Mm. and we knew that we had to come in here and bring in a roster uh full of players that were on board with what we were trying to do here and there was a player who had emailed us multiple times from a junior college in illinois and we'd been on the phone with him and everything was checking off but we're sitting there okay ours oh see this guy okay well, as fate would have it, okay, we got shut down for our last seven days last year uh, of fall practice due to COVID. Um, oh. That's a long story in itself. But yeah, we got shut down due to COVID, and it just so happened that we got shut down on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. On Friday, this pitcher that had been emailing us was pitching in his junior college game right outside of St. Louis, Illinois, our east of St. Louis. Hmm. So we're trying to find a way to make this work uh, Wednesday morning for us to be able to fly out Thursday, the very next day, to go see this kid pitch. Well, sure enough, we find a flight. It's got two connections on it. I finally land in St. Louis at the airport after a delay. At like 1.30 in the morning. In fact, I still have a video from it 
Well, this is in the middle of the rental car shortage. Okay. Yeah. And so there's no rental cars in St. Louis. And we knew this, I knew this going into the trip, um, eventually, Ooh. you know, in this 24 hours of trying to plan this trip. But what we had found is Uber was an option, but we also saw that the St. Louis airport had their public transportation go. I mean, we're talking like 50 miles east of the airport was their final stop was right on the campus of this junior college that this kid pitching at. So, wow. all right, here all we right. go. We nice. got a solution to the rental car shortage, but I'm delayed. I land at 1.30 in the morning, no rental cars. And yeah. at 1.30 in the morning, we're the last flight into the St. Louis airport. There's no caps. You ever been to the St. Louis airport? It's a tougher part of town. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The hotel we have booked is about a mile and a half from the airport. There's no cabs. There's no Ubers. We got no rental car. So oh, I don't tell me you walked. I your college route uh, routes and uh, walk to the hotel. And I've got uh. footage, you know, his walk to this hotel a mile and a half through the St. Louis airport region and finally get to the hotel, check in, have to get up the next morning. I don't know what time. Walk back to the airport. Excuse me. No, I was able to take the hotel shuttle back to the airport mm. to the public transportation. Take the public transportation for our ride or whatever it was. Finally, get to the yeah. ballpark. Sure enough, get there, and you never know what recruiting is going to be like. Get there, and the player we recruit, or we're kind of there to see. He's everything we wanted to be, hmm. and that rarely happens. It was really exciting. Furthermore. There was a teammate there of his that was really impressive. I mean, we're talking 92, 94 miles an hour, throwing 85 mile an hour sliders, um, transferred from a Division II school who had put up incredible numbers in the Northwoods League the summer before. Hmm. Really impressed. So that night on the phone, heading back to the airport, I called both of these players, offered both scholarships and a chance to come out on an official visit that night. A couple weeks later, they come out on a visit to Utah. Flash forward, here we are this fall. They're both in our program. Uh, it was a wow. chain of events that led us there to be able to, one, see these guys, two, for it all to work out. It just doesn't work that way very often. The return on investment of that trip was through the roof. It was a little bit of a yeah. ride to get there and everything, but, man, it was a really cool story i still in fact have the little ticket from that metro station on my bathroom mirror at home oh my god i mean i'm trying to think too like you you led the story with covid and i went oh geez here we go here goes the downward spiral of the whole thing this is just the beginning right. but it actually led to like this diamond in the rough actually two diamond in the roughs story and i was like wow oh my gosh that's crazy i mean that's a better that's that's pretty good. That's a good story too. I've, I've heard some bad ones. Um, I don't know if you want to show any bad ones. Probably. I mean, it's, it's tough. I hope you don't have bad stories, but oh, that's a great is, story. Recruiting is just a, it, it's an incredible social experiment in its own way. And, uh, of course, there's some experiences that don't go quite as well as that story. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, seriously. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, no, we, we will leave it at that. Um, Eddie, I mean, I, that's all I have on my side. I would like to give you just kind of like um, some time for like last words. If you have anything you kind of want to say to like, you know, maybe high school players or some college players even who are 
not at the program they want to be at. Maybe they're at junior college um, and they're looking to transfer, like just any sort of last message um, for players who have interest in your university. Oh, Jack, I, I appreciate you having me on, you know, and getting to talk about this place here, Utah Valley University. Uh, I've said it since the day I got here. I've never had to make a sale here recruiting wise. I've just been able mm. to bring players here on campus and show them around and uh, it, it speaks for itself. I mean, our ballpark is incredible. Our school is really, really in an amazing spot right now. Our president um, worked for Microsoft in Asia based out of Singapore for many years. And, uh, hmm. you know, she always talks about the route that Microsoft took, the route that Microsoft took from the 80s to the 90s and what it is today. And she correlates that to where Utah Valley University is. Um, hmm. 20 years ago, we made the leap as a program, as an athletic program, to be the first school in Division I baseball history to go directly from a junior college to a Division I program overnight, hmm. July 1st, okay? Uh, overnight in the 2004 season was the first season. So this is our 20th season as a Division I school. And, you know, we're an infant relative to so many other programs. And it's a mm -hmm. really, really cool time because we have this facility. We have this school as a whole, this department that is growing. Our president says it best, hey, our stock, it's a buy right now. Uh, mm. It really, really is. You know, I think that hop on the internet, hop on our Twitter pages, whether it's our um, UVU baseball recruits page or my per personal page, we try to tell our story because there's so many people out there like myself in April of 2021 that have no idea about the potential that Utah Valley baseball has. And I think that potential is going to start to be realized more and more here every single day. And uh, we've mm. got a really exciting thing here. Um, hopefully I gave you a great look at, you know, the inside of our locker room, the inside of what we're working to build here. And I try mm. to be really transparent with that. There's a lot of talented players out there. Okay. Uh, I get it. The Dylan Cruises of the world, the generational talents, they're few and far between. And, uh, you know, maybe you need a guy uh, or two like that to win a national championship. But where we are as a program, okay, mm -hmm. there's a lot of talented players that fit us. And we are trying to find the right talented players. We're trying to find guys who love baseball. You got to love baseball to be successful in our program mm -hmm. and want to sit around when you're 30 or 40 years old, hopefully in the midst of or after a professional career saying, hey, I gave everything I got to this game. And I was part of a really cool program. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that's what we're looking for. I don't think that message is ever going to change here. Mm -hmm. And for the right guy, myself included, this is an amazing place. And just so excited about what we're building here. Mm. It sounds like you're telling, like retelling the recruit story almost as in, it's like this diamond in the rough that you just got to find. And it's, you know, maybe it's more difficult to, to find it, but it's, it's there. Like, you know, I, I love that. I love that. You said it, it, it so well. Yeah. That's yeah, great. It is. Yeah. Well, Eddie, I mean, that's again, everything that I have. Um, and you said all those words, you know, at the end, I, I hope that players can really listen to. And I, I mean, if I'm like a high school kid, you know, who just, you know, I don't know what level of talent you guys look for. I know you guys have talented players, though, and that you guys are on the rise. Like, that's an exciting place to be, an exciting program to go into, you know. So, 
I just, I would hope people listen, you know, and that you guys can use this for a tool. So, you know, again, all that's all I have. Um, and I just like to say thank you uh, one last time for coming on. Um, and the whack, you guys are in the whack. That's right? correct. Yep. I will definitely be following you guys. I know that whack conference is very competitive. Um, and yeah, I just want to say good luck to you guys in those conference games. Cause like you said, they're very important. So yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I would, I want to talk to you. Sorry. One, like right after we say goodbye, but, uh, very briefly, but, yeah. but for, you know, but for the listeners out there, that's going to be it. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you one last time for coming on. Thanks Jack. It was awesome. Thank you. Time with you.